0: In this talk today, I want to highlight yet another aspect of metta, of loving-kindness, namely the aspect of its altruistic nature, or the aspect of selfless caring. And that's why I have given this talk the title, Metta, the Beauty of Selfless Caring. In the Metta Sutta that we chant almost every day in our Metta Chant Session, we have the following words. You know them very well by now. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness, over the whole world. So the Buddha used the image of a mother's love for her only child. Well, I would say it applies to every child a mother has. And so the Buddha states that a mother would protect her child even at the risk of her own life and so with that the Buddha points to this attitude of unconditional love an attitude of selfless caring and so this attitude of unconditional love or selfless caring is a purely altruistic attitude It's this genuine wish for the welfare, for the well-being, for the happiness of the child or of any other person or of all living beings. So with that, one stands back and puts the needs or the happiness of another person of other beings before one's own needs. This image of a mother's love for her child is a worldly image that is easily understood by everybody. It's nothing complicated, and it doesn't need a lot of deep understanding, whether it be intellectual understanding or meditative understanding. Everybody can relate to this image. Maybe you remember the terrorist attack in Paris at the concert hall called Bataclan that was in November 2015. Among the many people who had died, 89 altogether, there was a 35-year-old mother who went to this concert with her five-year-old son. And as soon as the shooting started, the mother threw herself over her son to protect him. She was hit by a bullet, bullet and died, and her son survived. He was not injured at all. but generally or usually mothers wish the best for their child they do so much for their child they go out of their way to feed the child to dress the child to facilitate a good education however this is not to say that fathers do not equally love their children that they do not equally much to feed and dress and educate their children. So metta is an altruistic state of heart and mind. And likewise are the other Brahma-viharas altruistic states of heart and mind. Patrul Rinpoche was an influential teacher and monk in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. He had lived in the 19th century. And in regard to the four boundless states, he had said, the four boundless qualities cannot fail to cause us to develop genuine Bodhicitta. It is therefore vital to cultivate them until they have truly taken root in us. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they talk a lot about bodhicitta. And this word bodhicitta literally means the awakened mind or the enlightened mind and heart. And the way this word is usually used refers to the attitude of becoming fully liberated or enlightened for the sake of all beings. So the point is that we do not strive to become liberated, enlightened only for our own benefit but that we engage in this practice of liberation for the benefit of all living beings. Sometimes the teachers or people from the Tibetan Buddhist tradition or the Mahayana tradition reproach the Theravada tradition that the Theravadins are selfish because they only strive to attain liberation for their own benefit and not for the benefit of all beings. And this is why they called this tradition of the southern Asian Buddhist countries, they called that tradition Hinayana, which literally means the lesser vehicle. Mahayana is the greater uh, or the great vehicle and Mahayana consisting of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, the Chinese, Japanese, Korean. <clears throat> and usually what is called Hinayana or the Theravada tradition, that's the countries of Burma, Thailand, Sri Lanka. So, this classification of Hinayana, Mahayana, selfish, not selfish, this has no valid base. We only need to look at some of the very early discourses of the Buddha to see that this altruistic attitude or bodhicitta was actually a cornerstone of the Buddha's teaching right from the beginning. So once the Buddha became fully liberated, once he had attained enlightenment, he started teaching. And within a short period of time, many of his disciples or people who listened to his teachings also became fully liberated. They became what is called Arahants. So, when there were already 60 Arahants, 60 fully enlightened persons, the Buddha told them to go out into the world and share the Dhamma with others. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that the Buddha did not tell them to be satisfied with their attainment, and now sit back and relax for the rest of their lives. On the contrary, the Buddha, so to speak, kicked them out. He told them to go into the world, to spread, to share the Dhamma. And so, When he told these 60 Arahants, fully liberated persons, to go out into the world, that was only after the Buddha had given two discourses. So, very, very early in his teaching. And so, this is what the Buddha told these 60 uh, liberated persons. He said, Wander forth for the welfare of the multitude, for the happiness of the multitude, out of compassion for the world, for the good, for the welfare and happiness of devas and humans. Do not two, sorry, let not two go the same way. There are beings with little dust in their eyes who are falling away because they are not hearing the Dhamma. There will be those who will understand the Dhamma. I too will go to senanigama in Uruvela in order to teach the Dhamma. Or a bit later on, in a discourse, the Buddha had said, this is an example from the Majjhima So the Buddha speaking to a group of monks, using a male person as the example. That's why it says he. So you can say the practitioner. He does not occupy his mind with self-affliction or the affliction of others or the affliction of both. He sits with his mind set on his own welfare, on the welfare of others, and on the welfare of both, even on the welfare of the whole world." And lastly, one more example which comes from the Anguttara Nikaya. Another example that makes it very clear that we only can be truly helpful to others when we do the work of purification ourselves. So the Buddha said, and how does a person live both for his own good and for the good of others. He himself practices for the removal of lust, hatred, and delusion, and he also encourages others to do so. So this should make it clear that this altruistic attitude was there in the Buddha's teaching, right from the beginning. So it's to purify our own heart and mind in order to benefit sentient beings. I have a couple of Australian friends, they are a couple, and for many years they had been supporting A Tibetan monk from a young age. And you know, he uh, escaped to India as a young kid, and there, in one of the big uh, monasteries that the Tibetans set up in India, he studied the, um, the Buddha's teaching. And so growing up in that environment of Tibetan Buddhist teaching. He was told time and again that you know there are the Hinayana people from Burma, Thailand, Sri Lanka, the lesser vehicle. And you know, yeah, they do the practice, but you know, these are the selfish ones. They just strive to become enlightened for their own benefit and don't care about the rest of the world you know, they don't have bodhicitta and so on. But we, in the Mahayana tradition, the great vehicle, are superior. You know, we practice and study the teachings in order to become liberated ourselves and then to benefit all living beings. So, you know, bodhicitta is very important. We have bodhicitta, those of the Hinayana tradition, they lack bodhicitta. I mean, that's what he heard for many, many, many years of studies. And for him, okay, that was for the truth. Anyway, then he and some other (coughs) uh, Tibetan monks were invited for Pilgrimage, a trip to Burma, and so they came to Burma, visited pagodas, monasteries, traveled around, and you know they came with the preconception, "Ah, yeah, here we go to the selfish, to the country of the selfish arahants. They practice the Buddha's teaching, yeah, but you know everybody just for them their own benefit and so on." And. So then, during this journey and after this journey, that monk took, uh, to- uh, told my Australian friends that you know he was really amazed to see how generous and kind uh, Burmese people, Burmese monastics, were. And that what he was told, that they were so selfish and just doing it for their own sake, was not true at all. During this trip, he had encountered many monks who you know, worked for the benefit of others, maybe having taken in young novices or young boys, orphans, half-orphans, to give them an education to educate them or setting up other projects, social Projects for their village, for the neighborhood, and so on. And so he had come to realize that this distinction between Mahayana, Hinayana, or the selfish and the bodhicitta had no valid base, that it was not true. And having lived in these countries for so many years, I mean, I can only say the same thing. And since we have established our little association that we call Meta in Action, supporting people here in Burma which need support, you know, gradually we have come to also focus on supporting nuns, nunneries, Because, unfortunately, they get less much support in this country than the monks do. So we support many nunneries, um, monastic schools that are set up by nuns. And, you know, we go and visit these nuns, these nunneries, talk to them. We know them now for many years, ten years already. And I tell you, it's just incredible what these nuns do for the welfare of others. For, again, you know, they take in little girls, orphans, -orphans, semi-orphans. They are ordained as nuns, and so they have a place to stay. They get food, they get good education, and, you know, they go to a nunnery age four or Five years, even three year old girls we have seen in nunneries. And of course, they also need a worldly education. They need to learn to write and uh, maths and some geography, general knowledge. So they do that. And so these nuns, abbesses, ap- you know, they are maybe. 35 years, or 40, maybe 50. And, you know, they are so intent to, to benefit others, and they have so many challenges, you know, to just keep running their nunnery with 25 little nuns, or to run their monastic schools with 300 students, also coming from the neighborhood, from poor families, kids who otherwise could not go to regular school. So they have to employ teachers, pay them salaries, and so on. And, you know, they don't have a bank account where they have 10,000 Swiss francs or U.S. dollars or some 100,000 chutz. Basically, they have nothing. But they have an incredible amount of faith, of confidence, And just this strong metta, of course, also compassion to help relieve the suffering, to do good for the benefit of others. Many times I was really so touched. I mean, I would never have had the courage to start such a thing. But they simply go ahead and somehow it works sometimes a bit better sometimes a bit more difficulties but they work tirelessly almost day and night so if this is not bodhicitta I don't know what else it could be so now let's come back to the quality of metta with its altruistic aspect or the aspect of selfless caring. Such acts of selfless caring, they are really beautiful and noble. They are also touching and inspiring because they manifest an open, caring heart and also a purified mind, at least to a certain degree. And so, such selfless, caring acts, they encourage us to emulate the selfless and caring behavior of another person. Like uh, this experience that I had many, many, many years ago when I was a backpacker traveling around the world. And I started in Ireland. So there, one day, I got this profound teaching of this kind of selfless caring. At that time, I was hitchhiking all over Ireland, and one day, a man gave me a ride to Dublin. Well, he not only gave me a ride back to Dublin, but on the way, He showed me a couple of old castles and he also invited me for lunch and then when he dropped me in Dublin I wanted to thank him profusely for his kindness but he didn't let me speak when I started, when I wanted to start to say thank you, he simply put his finger on his mouth and then said, I know, one day you will give this to somebody else. He turned away, got into this car and drove off. And I was there, you know, speechless and I couldn't believe it. So much goodness. And he did it, you know, without asking For anything in return. So that was a very profound teaching. It deeply touched my heart. And ever since, I have tried, and I'm still trying, to spread this kindness of selflessly caring for others. Because there is such a beauty in an act of selfless caring. There is so much beauty in an act of a metta-infused act. So a heart, a mind full of metta, radiates all the goodness within and it lightens up the heart and the mind of all who are present. It definitely has a very strong impact on others. We know for ourselves from our own experience how beautiful and joyous it is when the heart is full of metta and we care for somebody else. And we also know how beautiful it is when somebody Deeply cares for us. Ajahn Muninda is, a, is an English senior monk in the tradition of Ajahn Cha. He's the abbot of the Aruna Ratnagiri monastery in England. And he says that receiving the selfless care of somebody else is like being nourished in his own words. Similarly, the feeling of being cared for is a truly wonderful thing. To receive caring from another is like receiving warmth when we are cold or like receiving food when we are hungry. It is a type of nourishment, and it is an essential nourishment. I found it helpful to reflect from time to time how I care for others and to reflect how it feels like when others care for me. So for example to reflect am I really fully present when I care for somebody else or do I already think about cooking lunch when I care for somebody else to reflect do I really appreciate the care that I receive from somebody else or how do I feel when I notice that the other person is absent, absent minded when she offers me a massage, for example? So I have to come and see and to feel that it definitely feels nicer when the other person is fully present with me. Then I really feel nourished, then I feel at ease. Then I feel like being held and understood. And this brings about a sense of well-being or a sense of contentment. And this makes my mind happy and serene. Then I feel happy. You know, in order to become fully liberated, it is important and essential that we, underst- that we develop understanding and wisdom. But on the way to full liberation, it is, e- it is equally important to develop kindness and compassion Path to complete liberation includes both wisdom and compassion. It includes both understanding and kindness. In a talk during the first meta retreat, I have talked a bit more elaborate on this topic. So wisdom and compassion are like two wings of a bird. A bird cannot fly with only one wing. So therefore we should understand that the path to complete liberation does not only consist of formal meditation practice, but it includes many other aspects of training, of training the heart and the mind. But unfortunately, many people easily forget or some people do not even know. So they easily forget or do not know that the practice of the Dhamma involves so much more than only sitting still on the cushion or the chair. Achancha, this very famous Thai meditation teacher, Dhamma teacher. So he was very famous for his unfailing recognition of what a monk or a meditator needed to proceed on his or her way to liberation. And here comes the story of what practice he advised to a young monk a young western monk and it was not exactly what the young monk had imagined to be good for his practice but later on he realized how beneficial ajahn Chah's advice instruction had been so it says one young monk who arrived at Achancha's monastery had previously been acquainted only with monasteries where solitary meditation was emphasized. When this monk was told to take up upatak duties, meaning attending on the teacher, assisting the teacher, so waiting on the teacher, that did not immediately appeal to this young monk. And he was thinking, why can't the abbot not look after himself? Why does he need somebody else to take care of him? He's not that old. He can do that for himself. But, you know, he had been assigned this duty and he had to do it. It was only after some time that he came to see for himself the point of consciously caring for somebody else. So, so far in this talk, I have highlighted the aspect of the altruistic uh, side of metta talked that it is selfless caring and now I want to go a bit more into detail of what it actually means to be selflessly caring or what that selfless uh, actually means. As I, as we have said before, the practice of metta meditation, cultivating loving-kindness, this is a relational practice. It deals with the relation we have with other people, with other living beings. And usually we think of other people, of other living beings, by putting them into different categories. We have people we like, people we dislike, people we respect, we have people we call good friends, close friends, people we care for, people we don't care for, strangers, enemies, and so on. So as I've said, with the practice of metta meditation, we stay on a relational level or we stay on a conceptual level of reality. We deal with living beings, humans, animals, other <coughs> unseen uh, beings. The practice of metta meditation is not one on the absolute level. It's not a level where we deal with absolute realities, you know, such as Nama and Rupa, mentality, uh, physicality, or it's not where we deal with Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. So with the Metta practice, we stay on a conceptual level, but now, the danger of using these concepts and categories is the separation these categories uh, create. You know, this separation between me and others, a separation between me and the stranger, for example. And so, these concepts may put a barrier between me and others and then the deluded ego-based mind is conditioned to first of all care for me for myself for the i for the ego for my well-being for my needs for my success for my good health But then, and you may have uh, experienced it quite clearly already, through the practice of metta-meditation, the barriers between me and others, they melt away. Gradually, they dissolve. They dissolve completely. So then there are no more distinctions between Me and others. What there is in that moment, there is metta. There is simply metta, metta being present, metta radiating, metta, you know, like coming out, coming out like a spring from a mountain crack. And so. In that state, when there is simply metta, yeah, there are no more barriers, no more me and others. And so in that state, the sense of self or the sense of me dissolves and with that, the understanding of not-self emerges. The sense of anatta, not self because there's no more me there's no more uh, another there is just metta so in that way you know it's selfless empty of the sense of self of me on the other hand we know that the practice of vipassana meditation aims at the deep and liberating understanding of all that exists. So it aims at developing that kind of wisdom which overcomes all forms of dukkha, suffering, dissatisfaction, unsatisfactoriness. And so in order to understand everything that exists, all the processes in body and mind need to be observed and understood. And here with vipassana meditation we dive into the absolute level of reality. So with Mipassana meditation we sharpen our mental eye, our mind to see things on the absolute rea- level, to see absolute Realities. And so, what we come to see and understand with the Vipassana practice is, for example, the three general characteristics, which are anicca, dukkha, and anatta impermanence, dissatisfaction, and not self. And anatta, not self, means you know, there is no self or there is no everlasting entity to be found, neither in the body nor in the mind. So to see that there is no inherently existing entity we could call self, to see that there is nothing in the body and mind that lasts forever. There is no nucleus that remains unchanging. And so this is the kind of wisdom we develop through the practice of Vipassana meditation. And so with this understanding too, we come to see the characteristic of anatta, not self, and with that the sense of self, the sense of me, disappears and the understanding of not-self emerges. So as we can see, the practices of both metta and vipassana lead to this same understanding, namely the understanding that there is no inherently existing self, or there is no substantial self that is different from others. And so this understanding of not-self, this leads to a natural ability to tune into the needs of others, to help others, to support others, to relieve the suffering of others so with that the dividing barriers between me and others they have been torn down and so with this we naturally feel connected to other people to other beings basically to each and every living being so When this concept of me and others has gone, then we no longer need to care exclusively for ourselves. And so when this need to exclusively care for ourselves only is gone, then we can feel how liberating it is when we are no longer Slaves to the dictates of the I or the ego. So, you know, like the the self or the ego that needs to have cappuccino in order to be happy. Or the self, the ego that needs to mop the floor in a specific way to be satisfied. Or you know, the sense of me or the ego that wants to know everybody else how selflessly I have given up the seat for somebody else. So when we are freed from the slavery of the self-possessed ego, then we can truly care for others. Then we are free, and then we are also unbiased. So we really can tune into the needs of others. As long as the sense of me or the ego is strong, it has to defend its position against others. And so then it will never be able to really selflessly care for others. Or the corrupted self only helps others in order to make the ego bigger, to aggrandize itself. And unfortunately, many people fall into the trap of thinking that their selfless service to others is truly compassionate and selfless, but they do not realize that their selfless service is basically just another ego trip to feel good or to aggrandize their ego by showing the world how selfless they are. there is really a rare beauty to be be found in the ability to selflessly care for others to tune into the needs of others and the heart full of metta is the base from which such selfless caring emerges here comes another story which illustrates this noble behavior of selflessly caring. An Indonesian woman had lost her husband because of a young man's reckless driving. But the woman decided not to take legal action against the driver because she did not want to cause unhappiness and suffering to someone else. On the contrary, she even expressed her wish to give a scholarship for the education of that young man. So this Indonesian really embodied the rare beauty of selflessly care for somebody else. Although she must have greatly suffered from the loss of her husband, she did not drown in her own suffering. Her heart was still open, and she clearly realized the extent of the suffering the young man would go through if she took legal action. So she understood that adding more suffering was of no benefit Anybody. What the young man needed most was a good education so that he would be able to care for himself and his family. Our ability to care, to love, must be boundless. And in order to make it boundless or to come to that point where it is really boundless, limitless, we have to train it. We have to train it repeatedly. And we should cultivate it every day. And we should try to apply it whenever possible. And this selfless caring or unconditional love This begins with a thought in our heart, in our mind. You know, with a metta thought. And a simple or a single metta thought may not seem to be much. But however, this is not true. The Buddha had said that just one moment of dwelling in metta, in pure genuine metta, that this is more beneficial than offering hundred pots of rice three times a day. So we should never underestimate this power of the heart and mind that is free from anger, aversion, that is free from greed and attachment. So we should never underestimate the power of a heart that is full of metta, of kindness, of benevolence. The 17th Karmapa is one of the uh, great leaders of the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. And he said that a loving thought is both simple and expansive. He had said, Being alive in the world and holding love in my heart can be an expression of my caring for others. Even that can be significant. I nourish this small thought. Or maybe it's not small, but it is simple. Very simple on the one hand, but on the other hand, vast and expensive. So whatever we want to call it, metta or selfless caring or an altruistic attitude, there is a tremendous power in this quality of the heart and the mind. And this quality conduces peace and harmony conduces to love and unity so whenever we dwell in a heart full of metta or in an altruistic uh, attitude, unconditional love so this sets free energies which can work wonders small ones big ones You know, as in the case of the Indonesian woman, or the case of the prisoner, a story I related in another talk, or uh, as in the case of Arno, the neo-Nazi that Venerable Miranyani talked about yesterday. So as much as another person, another being, Benefits from our selfless caring, we ourselves benefit as well. Actually, we profit as much as the other person, or even more. So, this altruistic attitude, metta, brings so much joy and happiness into our lives. We feel elated. And we feel deeply nourished. Actually, with an altruistic attitude or a meta attitude, we create a win win situation. Everybody involved wins, everybody involved benefits. There are no losers. So, selfless caring in the sense of metta, brings a rare beauty into this world, a beauty that is priceless, a beauty that cannot be bought. And on top of this, it's a treasure that cannot be destroyed by anybody else. I thank you for your kind attention.